Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses. And look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa. Everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast here. Coming out of week three, heading towards week four, Mike Sando here, senior writer, The Athletic at Sando NFL. Excited to be with Randy Mueller, the GM, at Randy Mueller underscore. Randy, how you doing? Doing great, Mike. Looking forward to uh, talking about some of these teams that are starting to identify themselves a little bit, you know? Yep. We are what we are, and at least there's a record to, to go from now. Yep, absolutely. And we got some really, really good topics today. We're going to hit... Josh Allen and the Bills. We're going to go Adam Gase and Dan Quinn. I think you know what category they're in. Nick Foles, Ascension in Chicago. And we'll wrap up with our Ask the GM segment. That's always a fun one. Got a good question this week. Uh, Not before, though, getting into our picks. We'll recap last week when we made people tons of money. And we've got some interesting picks this week in week four. Lots of great stuff. And Randy, I'm really excited about our first topic here with Josh Allen and the Bills because... I will admit, I know you're going to probably set me straight, but I I will admit that the concerns on Josh Allen to me have been a little real. I know the accuracy is a little overblown, but he does risk the ball. I mean, I was watching the game last year against New England. It's a third and seven in week four, and he runs up the middle and gets hit just like he got hit by a truck. You know, it was just like, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute, you're the quarterback. You can't do this. But that's sort of what we like about him, too. And now, all of a sudden... The Bills don't have to make excuses for him. They don't have to say, hey, his stats are bad, but this guy's a great leader. His stats look like Russell Wilson's. I mean, this guy's got <laughs> 10 touchdown passes, one pick. He's lighting it up. He's throwing 300 yards a week. Are you surprised? Actually, I'll say this. I'm not surprised. He is in year three of his progression into a job that he had to learn from square one. And I'm not going to say that it's still not. I wish I could remember the exact quote. He's still not a drunk carny ride at some point, you know, the carnival <laughs> where, you know, you just never know what's going to happen next. You know, I, I heard him compared to that. And I remember when I read it, I just laughed. It was exactly true. He's come out of that a little bit. But I think to his credit, things like this don't bother him. That game he had last year in Houston to end the season in the playoffs yep. could have destroyed some people. It, that's career definer. That's a career yeah, definer for a lot of guys. No doubt. It showed yeah. his thick skin, though. He was able to bounce back from it. And I love what Buffalo has going. So I think uh, I'm not surprised by yeah. where he's at now. I'm happy to see it. I think there may be some people that uh, are surprised by it and maybe some in his own division. It's funny, you know, when you look at these quarterbacks, sometimes we're surprised they do well, but kind of like a like a like a plant. If you water that thing and give it really good uh, sunlight, the right amount, not too much, and you give it uh, the right kind of soil, you can grow a tree, you know, in your 
for from nothing, or you know, you'd have to have you have to have a, a sapling, I guess. And and yet we see so many of these teams just ruin their quarterbacks, right? And we're going to talk about some of those situations. But Buffalo is a good situation, so I guess if this was going to happen anywhere, maybe it was going to happen in Buffalo, right? I mean, they're they're set yeah. up. And and to, to the Buffalo's credit, they've given him stability. And that's what this kid needed. You know, it, we, Carson Wentz has kind of been the flavor that everybody's talked about for the last two or three weeks. But most people forget that Carson Wentz was coached by the same college coach as Josh was. He ran the same college offense as Josh Allen did. A lot of similarities with regard to size, strength, all of the physical characteristics that you talk about. But Carson Wentz has kind of regressed a little bit. This kid has gone the other way. And, and some of the reasons are... are you know, kind of evident. I saw a similar guy, and I did them both in college, so that's kind of the fun part about it. Because um, you, you were with the Chargers, right? So you're doing reports yes. on these guys, yeah. Yeah, and, and we discussed these guys at nauseum, so we got to do a deep dive into both. And the biggest difference I saw with these guys were a little bit in the intangibles, but I think it's turned out to be a blessing for Josh Allen. Wentz, just for, to summarize, Wentz you know, played at North Dakota State, 4.0 student, really smart, very cerebral guy, probably to a fault, to be honest with you. Josh, completely the opposite. Josh wasn't recruited by anybody out of high school, went to a JC, ended up having a 2.5 GPA at, at Wyoming, comes from a little different stock. And you know what? He's not as cerebral as Wentz is, and it's probably helped him. Like we said, he doesn't harp on some of the things that have kind of torn uh, Wentz down a little bit, like like the progression of reads that he went through in that playoff game. Yep. And, you know, I think there's different kinds of, of intelligence too. I don't think you're saying that Josh Allen's not smart. I mean, no, I think it's all. a, I think it's a mindset of, uh, like you said, not overthinking it too much, right. And being yeah. able to go into a place and relate to everybody. And, uh, I think he's done a great job of that there. And I don't think there's been any issues with him picking anything up nope, or, you know, learning the offense. I think he's all over that. The roughness around the edges, like some of that background, Going to Wyoming, he doesn't always play what we think of as a smart game, right? I mean, right. he doesn't slide down like Aaron Rodgers, and he's already calling the timeout as he's sliding. And uh, he goes in with one shoulder down, and you sort of think that's not very smart. But I, I, I don't think he's lacking uh, in that area, and certainly physically. Yes, he's not lacking physic the physical part. He's not lacking the mental part, like you say. And I'm not saying that in a way that uh, is derogatory toward him at all. Uh, the big kick on him coming out was everybody was worried about, from a, a number standpoint, his completion percentage. And that, to me, became a crutch because if you watch the film on the kid coming out, he did have a low completion rate. But to me, he was throwing to neighbor kids for the most part, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. lots of balls getting dropped. Um, an offense that he had to make every play, had to be a factor in the running game, had to be a factor in the passing game. He had a lot of things put on him, and therefore his accuracy in, in numbers was down. I, I went through all of my notes when I knew we were going to talk about this guy, and I find that I didn't see one spot in my notes where I questioned his accuracy. And that is six or seven films that I watched and one game live. So wow. He, he may have been a little harder to figure out, and I'll give you a little bit of a story on that. But it, it, once you figured this kid out, I think you realize that he's a talented guy that needs the stability that Buffalo gave him. His last game in college was a bowl game they played at Boise State. I think they played like Central Michigan or something like that. And I was at the game representing the Chargers, like you said. Also in the same suite with me were all the decision makers of the uh, Denver Broncos. And at that time, they had the fifth pick in the draft. 
And I remember the kid I thought played really good in that game. And I remember walking out of that game that night, going back to my car. And I was kind of pissed because I didn't, I thought that Broncos are going to draft this guy. We're going to have to play against him twice a year. I mean, I, this kid played good. He made all the throws. He dropped balls in over underneath coverage. He, he zinged a, a deep dig that I'm thinking they know what they're doing. Denver's going to pick this guy and, and we're going to be stuck uh, having to find ways to defend him. Well, come draft time, they have the fifth pick in the draft. And guess what? They don't pick him. I would have bet a lot of money that he wasn't going to slide by Denver, who had been looking for a quarterback forever. So sometimes these things aren't an exact science. Sometimes you got to know it when it's in, in your face, and it's it's hard to figure that out. So um, I think to this kid's credit, he ended up in the right spot in Buffalo, um, a little bit out of you know, normal America per se, kind of hidden up there. And he's he's withstood the rough up and downs of the first couple of years, and he's starting to sort it out. Yeah, so we're not thinking he's going to have uh, 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns every year, but uh, he's certainly come out of his shell and looks like you know somebody they're going to be able to win with. They've already won with him. I mean, they were 3-0 last year, so it's not like they've just suddenly had success. But if you had to then buy stock in an AFC East team for the next five years, are you buying them? I think, I, I think I'm buying them because I just don't know how long he's going to keep going with with, uh, you know, New England and is Belichick going to be doing it that long? I mean, I don't know. I think it's a good question. I think once you get beyond Kansas City and maybe the Ravens, uh, I think I'm buying the, the Josh Allen stock and what Buffalo is doing. I think Brandon being their GM has done an awesome job in building their team, to be honest with you. He's went out of his way and we can get into some of the guys he's drafted, but I love his aggressive approach. He's added players through trades. He's added them through free agency and he's done a really good job drafting these last few years as well. They yeah. have got a pretty good team that's still working on depth, but outside those first two teams, I think Buffalo's got some staying power to be around for a while. Absolutely. You were talking broader AFC. I think for the AFC East, then that answers the question. If out of that division, you'd take, you would take you would take Buffalo as sort of the team to buy stock in for the long term uh, with the group they've got going there. And you, you mentioned the draft picks. I mean, so here's their first round picks since Bean and McDermott have been there. Josh Allen, seventh overall. Ed Oliver, ninth overall. Tremaine Edmonds, 16th overall. Tredavious White, 27th overall. I mean, those are all guys who look either have gotten second contracts or look like they're probably going to. I mean, they've they've hit on their first round picks, and th that's a fifty percent proposition. You yeah, know, I think it, yeah, it's a definitely a testament to what we talked a little bit about last week. They have picked the best player available, and guess how it's turned out. And again, they've they've done it with confidence. No one. Uh, really had heard of Tremaine Edmonds. You know, he's Farrell Edmonds' son, a former NFL player, ah. but he was 19 years old when he came out, was really a redshirt sophomore, and was still growing into his body. But he was a big athletic kid, just didn't have a giant body of work. So you connect the dots with him, and guess what? He he had the potential to end up being the best player of all the linebackers picked that year, and they did it. We just saw Tredavious White get signed to an extension. Again, really good players, kind of off the beaten path to get to them, but they did it with confidence. They stuck to the integrity of their board and, and didn't veer off to, to draft need. They picked the best player available, and it's turned out to be pretty good. So you're seeing, so you mentioned Farrell Edmonds. He had the biggest hands in, in world <laughs> history. It was like a foot long from the base of the handle. I remember. That. Did you draft him in Seattle? No, we signed him as a free agent. He, he was a second round pick out of Dolphins. He's a Miami guy. Second round pick out of Dolphins out of Maryland, yep. and we signed yep. him in Seattle. Good yep. player. Yep. Yeah. Good gene pool. Really good, good gene good pool. Good gene pool there. So to finish this off kind of on Josh Allen and Buffalo, I, I think we, 
need to remind people, too, that that 2017 head coach class, that hiring class, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay have both been to, taken their team to the Super Bowl and are now trying to maintain it. McDermott was also part of that group. And, uh, you know, he hasn't gotten to the Super Bowl yet. I think it's a little bit of a harder situation in the AFC with Mahomes. <laughs> you know, New England obviously has been good, but we, we really got to probably uh, keep our eye on McDermott there because it's just been a slow, not slow, but a steady, solid, not overly flashy general overall approach. So Yeah, and when you combine him and Brandon being the GM, you know, they have a history. They were together in Carolina. They go together really kind of two Buffalo in a package type deal. Um, the question really wasn't could they get it right. It was how quickly they could get it done because they do have a history. They put together a really good roster like we've talked about. They are the team going forward that have showed discipline in in how they create their roster. And that's been what set them apart from some of these other teams, especially in the AFC, which is a, a bunch of good teams. But some of the lower level teams, they work hard, they try hard. But what these guys done, have, they've made a commitment to the exact type of characteristic that they want for their players and how he fits in with their schemes. We've hit on some of these things in the past, but this is an example right in front of our eyes. And that's how you have a higher success rate on your players. All those things go into it and you wonder, God, how come they don't really miss uh, as much? And that's yeah. why they know exactly what they're looking for. So let's move on to a couple teams that don't have it all figured out. Um, we, we see now co- coming out of week three already, Dan Quinn on the hot seat with uh, the Falcons. They're uh, an 0-3 team. And then we've got uh, the Jets at 0-3 with Adam Gase only in his second year there. He's only coached 19 games, but you know there's been rumors and reports that he – could be nearing the end there. Obviously, uh, very difficult situations. Let's start with Atlanta because Dan Quinn went to the Super Bowl in his second year as the coach there. And sure, you'd, you'd rather have Aaron Rodgers, but Matt Ryan is not a bad quarterback to have. You know, uh, you could certainly do a lot worse. He's in the top half of the league. Maybe he's in the top 10 of, uh, at that position. And yet, here they are. Dan Quinn's got a 43 and 40 record. They're blowing these big fourth quarter leads. You know, when you look at Buffalo, you're seeing McDermott and you see exactly how they built the defense for him and it all makes sense. I don't see that with with Atlanta. Yeah, that's yeah. – yeah. And I feel bad because I like Dan Quinn. I, he, shoot, he was my neighbor in Miami. He lived right down the road from me. He's our defensive line coach with, yeah. under Nick Saban with the He's Dolphins. a great guy. So. Yeah, and so I know him. I know he's a good coach as well. But I think in this case, he's been a little bit of a victim of some of just what they've created there. I mean, really, a head coach's job is to uh, sell the plan during the week and then be uh, have an impact on Sunday. And Dan has struggled in both of those categories right now. I think I see a team that's kind of lost confidence for whatever reason. It may not be fair to blame him, but these colossal historic collapses that they've had now uh, have kind of caught up with them. And now I see a doubt on everybody's mind. It was almost like you you could see it coming, even though they get ahead. The other team says, hey, we got them right where we want them, you know. (laughs) So it's a hard thing to overcome. And I think that's going to be the train that's hard to stop in Dan's case. Yep. We mentioned the Buffalo comparison with a real methodical approach to being disciplined and building your roster. What I see in Atlanta is an owner who really wants to win and is going to support the operation, but is is too close to everything. I mean, they're they're redoing Julio Jones and moving him up is hit all the time. They're they're doing it with Matt Ryan. They're taking care of the players. If you go back in years, you know, Mike Vick's injured on the field. Arthur Blank's out there on the field, right? I mean, he's just to to me as a head coach, it's a little bit harder to operate in that situation. And then financially, they've committed a ton of money uh, to their roster without necessarily 
having great players. I mean, you wouldn't look at their roster and say, wow, this is a collection of great players. They're extremely leveraged to the point where it's going to be a two-year rebuild probably uh, for the next guy. And they tried to patch and hold it together this year. But I just don't see a lot of hope um, in this roster. And when you look at the the picks they've taken in the first round since Quinn's been there, Vic Beasley, eighth overall, he's not even a factor. You know, you, you're you're looking at Otherwise, on defense, cornerback A.J. Terrell, he's just new. Tack McKinley, you know, really hasn't developed into the, the, the great edge-rushing presence that they hoped. And so I don't know that he's going to make it. You know, I think he sort of got the bonus extended time for the fast finish last year, but it was probably fool's cold. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they've struggled to draft players. Let's put it that way. They've they've got uh, four defensive players that they picked in the first round since 2015, none of which have turned out to be anything. A couple of them have been injured, but you just can't keep swinging and missing on players. And, you know, they go back to the Caleb McGarry pick a couple years back out of Washington. They picked him at the end of the first round. And like you said, those are 50-50 choices. But again, when you pick players to fill needs, even in that first round, you're going to struggle. You're going to take a step back and not get the quality that you would if you just picked the best available player. And they've gotten away from that, and it shows. And so you have Dan Quinn, who is a defensive coach with, a you'd think, a clear defensive vision. But isn't it interesting? They've got all these pet players paid on offense. Their defense is porous. The same thing has almost happened to Seattle with the same defense, right? I mean, Seattle can't stop anybody either. They used to have a great defense, but you've got these coaches that are sort of have this vision for your program, but now, uh, certainly in Atlanta's case, never built the defensive roster. And, you know, Seattle's almost in the same boat. So no wonder when they played each other, there was about 50 million touchdowns. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a hard one because Dan Quinn's specialty is what? Defense. And their defense is awful. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, where do you go to solve it? I don't know. We yeah. kind of created it. Now it's up to him to solve it. But he's been two or three years and gone through a couple yep. coordinators, and it hasn't changed. They're just bad on defense. Yep. Go to the Jets. I think they're bad everywhere. You know, <laughs> I, I just <laughs> right. Uh, you know, when I look at the Jets, um, if you were going to try to set it up to ruin Sam Darnold, what would you change? <laughs> probably nothing. You're probably nothing. right on course. <laughs> You'd probably <laughs> right on do track. It, you would do it exactly like that. I mean, you talk about in the same division as New England, which has been a standard bearer, and now as as Buffalo that really knows what they're doing and is doing it the right way and everyone's on the same page. The Jets are just a dumpster fire. I think there's blame to go in a lot of ways, but Adam Gase, since he's been there, they're last in the league in points per game. They can't score at all. You don't get the feeling that Sam Darnold's improving, and you've got probably impatient owners with a front office that's not on the, on the same timeline. And you've got a really tough media market and you've got Adam Gase, who's not great at handling all of that. Um, there's no way this can succeed. Yeah, it's a struggle. There's no doubt. And I don't know um, Gase at all. I do know what I see and what I hear and seems to be a little disconnect in communicating with people. And that's hard when you're the head coach, when you are the leader of an organization, in that case, leader of a big city team like that, that's hard if you can't communicate with everybody. But you're right. His expertise is on offense. They've scored 37 points in three games. Seattle, on the other hand, scored 111. So, I mean, come on, seriously. I don't see them getting better short-term, and I'm not sure they're going to get better long-term. So that's a hard win, and I see why Jets fans are frustrated. Absolutely. Look at the leading receivers for Sam Darnold, catching passes from him. Uh, In his 16 starts there, Jamison Crowder's number one. Robbie Anderson's number two. He's not even there. Demarius Thomas is number three. He's not even there. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's next, and he might as well not even be there. I mean, he wasn't even – he was signed by the previous GM. Adam Gase wasn't, you know – calling for that move to be made, uh, just completely on a different 
uh, you know, wavelengths with everything that's, that's, that's gone on there. I think if you switched Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, if those guys traded places, would we be seeing Darnold's career taking off in Buffalo with a GM and a head coach who know what he can do and get the right pieces around him? And would we see Josh Allen be floundering in the wind in with the Jets as Sam Darnold is? Well, it's hard to say, but I would surely bet on – if I had to make a choice, I'd say yes. I, I see exactly what you're saying. I think it's hard for Sam Donald. I don't think he has a chance. I'll be honest with you. The, the GM is trying to get comfortable in his role, so he can't really help the coach. The coach is in a squabble with somebody every other day about something, a player or somebody. So that's a that's a no-win. And, and it reminds me, they're just rolling out uh, – uh, the quarterback, Darnold, and he's like floundering for a life raft out in the water. So I feel bad for him. It's a bad setup. Guess what? It's probably going to change again before he gets another chance at it. He will have learned his third offense. So who knows? It's That's a bad setup. Yep, absolutely. And yet, if you're going to move on from Adam Gase, who do you appoint? You know, they've got Greg Williams, Joe Vitt on the staff. I mean, I may I may just let it go the rest of the season and decide then. I mean, because I don't... You got to get better, right? Are you just alleviating the the punching bag? Maybe, maybe that helps. I mean, have you been in those situations where it's just time and you get rid of a guy? Does it feel like that after nineteen games? Yeah, I've not been in 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 that type of role where where you're ready to give up, especially after three games in a season. But yeah. this is not a talented team. They don't have. They're going to be, you know, not their favorite in probably uh, ten of the next thirteen games. So they're going to have an uphill battle to do it. Um, I don't. I'm with you. I don't see this being one that Greg Williams can solve with uh, a lot of bluster and and uh, yeah. talk and and you know selling uh, all kinds of uh, different crazy plans. I don't think that's the answer at all. So I wouldn't want to be a New York fan right now with both oh. the New York teams. To be honest with you, oh, it's brutal. But here's the thing about the Jets: they are who I thought they were going to be, and I'm sure you yeah. too. You know, they're they're right. a bad team. You look at just look at let's use this lens. Look at the 2018 quarterback class. Okay, Mayfield, Darnold. Allen, Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. The guys who are doing well are Allen and Jackson. They're the guys in stable organizations. They're, they're the guys. Buffalo's got a great plan. Baltimore's got an amazing plan. And they're good players. I mean, the heck, they may be the most talented of the guys. So uh, the players get credit for that too. But it's not totally coincidental that that's the way it works. You, you get all these things together with the coach and GM, know what they're doing. Um, and suddenly your quarterback's getting the max out of his potential. So yeah, <laughs> makes sense to me. All righty, Randy, you know, you and I kind of laughed during the off season when people were making a big deal in Chicago about, uh, Ooh, who, who's, who's leading the competition between, uh, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, <laughs> right? I mean, God, what, what are they going to do there? And it was just so obvious what they were going to do there. They were going to play Mitch Trubisky until they couldn't play him anymore. And they had to go to the other guy, Unfortunately for them, 13 games potentially of Nick Foles is a lot of games for Nick Foles. Uh, but they're 3-0. History, sh- history shows that, too. Yeah. Yeah. But they're 3-0. and How do you feel about the Bears being 3-0? Yeah. and I know. You excited? That's crazy. Yeah, I'm real fired up. I, I don't <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a. I think what's going to happen is, and history showed this, like we just mentioned, Foles' history has been up and down. That's been well documented. But you're going to see him play the rest of this year. I think the the Bears will win seven or eight games, and then guess what? They're going to draft another quarterback next year, whether they want to or not. They're going to have to do that. Um, Nick Foles isn't going to be the answer for the long term, I don't believe. So they're going to be back in the quarterback market. Unfortunately, that may not be the best thing for. 
for uh, Matt Nagy or for Ryan Pace, but they're going to have to find a way to solve this long term. Um, they've done everything they can with, by giving Mitch Trubisky all the rope possible. And, uh, you know, it just hasn't worked out. You know, Matt Nagy almost had to make this move to have credibility in the locker room. Trubisky, he'll land somewhere as a backup, right? He's not going to be a starter anywhere. I wouldn't think so. And it's going to have to be a specific system that he fits as well. You know, Mitch had very little experience in college. He didn't win the job till his senior year, played behind some marginal guys throughout his career at North Carolina before he came out. So it's not like there's a big body to choose from of work there. Um, he had the good year. Ryan fell in love with him. I get it. I think, again, when you corner yourself into having to draft at a position of need, you end up making a mistake, and this may have been one of them. The- at least in their defense, there weren't any other good quarterbacks available in that draft. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sorry. I'm trying, yeah, I'm sorry, trying sorry. to think yeah. who could have been available, but um, somebody will probably send us, yeah. uh, you know, send us a card on that one. When we come back, we will hit our Ask the GM segment, uh, always a fun one. Uh, where we solicit a question from usually from Twitter, and we'll have Randy dive into that. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's time for Ask the GM. All right, Randy, our Ask the GM segment. This is from Larry Kruger, Bay Area media member. He said, Kevin Colbert, that's general manager of the Steelers, says he's more likely to draft a player who played this season in college over one who did not due to COVID. Is that a reasonable approach? Why would he admit it publicly? Why let others know your mindset? Very odd comment. Perhaps too candid? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think uh, at the time, I'm, I know Kevin, uh, so I'm thinking he's just being honest. But I think I agree with Larry. He's a little bit honest to a fault in this case. I, I think that information is best not shared, although I think by the time the draft comes around, it might be forgotten as well. From a competitive standpoint, you're going to want to play those cards close to your vest if you can. And I'm not sure I really agree with it. Um, I'm going to find a way to pick the best players for us and to fit our scheme. Whether the guy played this fall or next spring, does it really matter? I don't know. Or if he opted out altogether. I think you could make a case for uh, some skill position guys, and especially running backs or maybe receivers, that they have less tread on the tire. So they might be more valuable picked instead of, you know, having gone through a SEC season where a guy carried 200 times during a, during a, a one one fall season. So I think there's different ways to look at that comment. I think it was probably made off the cuff and not really thought through. But uh, there's a, it, it'll be a factor, but I think it could go both ways come next spring. You could end up picking guys because they didn't play. 
What kind of player does Kevin Colbert go after? I, I love, I used to do this thing when I was, I think I was covering the NFC West. I would sort of do this GM profiling, right? I'd look at all their picks and mm-hmm. just take them out from over time over the years. And you'd see some commonalities through the players. And I'm sure you, even more so, could almost probably pick, like predict who someone's going to pick, right? Or, yeah. you know, as you're getting in the round, did yeah. you, is it a pretty high batting average when you're in a draft and, and you're like, all right, Kevin Colbert, there's three guys here they're going to take and, <laughs> and you've got them. Do you nail it? Is it that yeah. good? Or There's a scouting yeah. report. You get to know certain guys. That's for right. sure. I'll tell you what I would do. I would follow Kevin in drafting receivers anytime and outside <laughs> linebackers because he's made a living doing that. And he has hit on my, many, many more than he's missed on. That's for sure. But I think you're right. GMs do end up with a track record. Just like when you pick up the phone to make a call on draft day and you know this team hasn't made a deal in three years, you kind of yeah. feel like you're wasting your time. But you got to do your due diligence so you make the call. Other teams, I'll call them two or three times because I'm, I'm more apt to make a deal with them. So, uh, yeah, you have a track record and a read on most of the decision makers for sure. Yep. Every week, Randy, too, we, we like to look at our picks uh, for the upcoming week. But we got to look back first. And I like looking back this week. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I think I advised everybody to um, take out the second mortgage on the house and <laughs> take the Panthers against the Chargers. I didn't think the Chargers could score. Which is not a huge revelation, but they could worked score. out to your liking. Yep. Took the Panthers; they actually won it straight up. I was just saying, take the points, and then I thought the Packers would cover. I just didn't think the actually the Saints did a better job than I thought of keeping pace, but um, the Packers also came out okay. So two and zero there, people can retire. Um, what <laughs> do you, what What did you have? I ended up having uh, I had Minnesota uh, against Tennessee, and um, Minnesota lost the game but covered the bet. They ended nice. up losing, losing by one, and Tennessee was a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And then I had Pittsburgh giving up the three-and-a-half to Houston. I just thought the matchup of their 3-4 scheme was going to be a struggle for Houston, and and that turned out as well. So uh, it so, ended up being a, a clean sweep, I guess. So, Randy, are you? what are you on the season? <laughs> Against the well, this is going to jinx you. You are going to just yeah, fall hard. I, I got to be honest. The Minnesota-Tennessee game, I, this is the pick that I did for the podcast. I later went back after we taped this and watched film and changed my mind for my column on my website. Oh, <laughs> so I know, I know. Violation. Well, that was a bad yeah. choice on my no, part. No, but it was based so, on film work. Yeah, you weren't just Yeah, cut, yeah it, yeah. it killed me. So technically, I was one and two this week. It took an epic collapse by Atlanta two weeks in a row. So what do they call that? A bad uh, beat. I had that, that one and, and lost that one. So I was one and two, which would make me eight and two for the season. Okay. Uh, which still isn't too bad. No, that's really I, good. So I, Let me just say this. I don't bet on anything, but I enjoy the handicapping part. So that's all we're doing is trying to give a few tidbits to some of our people and listeners to maybe help them uh, pay uh, for an ice cream cone down the road. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we're going to we're gonna preview a couple games uh, this week. Really like even, <laughs> these are two winless teams. In fact, yeah. I was talking to uh, – to our buddy Brock Heward, he's doing uh, NFL games now, um, you know, on TV. And he, I said, "Hey, what game you got this week?" He goes, "Oh, I'm really big time. I got the I got the Vikings at the Texans. He's got the O three <laughs> against the O three, and actually, it's a great game. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm interested in seeing this. And um, wow, I mean, you got, you, I mean, Mike Zimmer is about fifty shades of purple and red, very intense. Oh, yeah. And then Bill yeah. O'Brien is the king down there, right? I mean, he's oh yeah, he's, he's king in charge town, of the yeah. whole thing, and <laughs> so there's some pressure here. Yeah, it's two desperate teams. I kind of like the matchup. I'll be honest. I don't. The records are what they are, but they add to it. Two zero and three teams, uh, and these are these are teams that, and and still might uh, 
be playoff teams, and some even had Super Bowl aspirations. So hasn't started like they want. But I think I might have mentioned last week, I think uh, Houston could end up starting 1-4 and four and still be a pretty good team because their schedule has been unbelievably hard. They've played really good teams throughout. This will be a, this will be interesting. I guess the disappointing part about Minnesota to me is, other than the obvious 0-3, they've just been gashed versus the run. And that's Mike Zimmer's bailiwick, right? I mean, he's a defensive coach. He's hard-nosed. The one thing I know he wants to do is stop the run. And the Colts just ran it right down their throat. Last week, the Titans ran it right down their throat and they couldn't do anything about it. So I just don't know if I see a team that's built in the likeness that, that Mike Zimmer wants. So they added, you know, in Dockway before the season started and he's given him a little pass rush, but he has not helped him against the run. I can tell you that. So they're, they're struggling to stop the run. And fortunately for them, Houston doesn't run it and, and doesn't even disguise it for the most part. So that may be the determining factor, but it'll be a good game. I agree. So it's Houston's favorite by three and a half, and we'll, we'll get to our pick at the end of this. I'm just going to say I don't have full confidence. I know the schedule's tough on Houston. I don't have full confidence in them rebounding and being a playoff team because uh, I think getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins kills them. I think it really puts De- uh, Deshaun Watson in a tough spot, and they're just they're just diminished enough. And I know he made it into you know barely made it into the top tier of my quarterback tier survey. But I don't. I feel like he's right on the border. I don't feel like he's just carrying it every week to win every week um, again, especially against the good teams. So I think we, we're gonna. I think Indy's a team lurking in that division that's pretty good. That's gonna find its way, right? That right. that has the veteran quarterback with more help around him, a better offensive line. Um, I think it's gonna ultimately be a bit better defense. So I think it's gonna be a little tough for Houston. Um, I'm all in with the Colts, too. I agree with you. I think they're the best team and and going to even get better. The thing that bothers me about Houston is, and I agree with you, they don't have a replacement for Hopkins. It's a struggle for the quarterback to find anybody that's open. Their offensive line has not been good. They've given up as many sacks as anybody, I think. And I know as many pressures as anybody has in the first three weeks. So they're a struggle. Um, they, They gave up pressures on four-man rushes on three-man rushes without teams stunting in the past. They've really struggled to communicate up front, and that's really a Bill O'Brien thing. That's that's an offensive coach not having everybody on the same page, so he's going to have to get those guys together. I don't like either team, so I will take yeah. whatever team I get the points with, so I'll just sort of reluctantly take the three-and-a-half with the Vikings and figure that even if they're out of it a little bit, you know, they still uh, – you know, they, they rallied back into it against Tennessee. So maybe it's close either way, but I'm glad I don't have to pick a team to win outright. Well, if you take the Vikings, I'm going to go the other route because I do think Houston in this matchup, we mentioned the corners not being up to speed for the Vikings. I do think uh, Deshaun Watson comes out of his uh, funk a little bit, and I think he's going to find a way to have a big night. So I'm going to take the home team in that game. All right. Hey, and let, let's let's just stick with us. We can pick the good games, Randy. I mean, we are de- <laughs> We are down in the gutter. We just took the we we're we're picking winners on the on the winless Vikings and Texans. And I, let's just stay with the winless teams. Let's give a look at Thursday night. And I'm going to go. I actually think the Jets get their first win at home. I'm going to tell you why. Um, I think these are two teams that are really beat up. And to me, the Jets coming home on a 90 minute flight from Indy um, on a short week. They're not going to go in 16. I think you'll pick one up somewhere, right? Mm, and right. so you got Denver coming in across the country on a short week, really banged up without a lot of their good players, with quarterback issues being one of them. I'm going to say that Greg Williams and Adam Gase with backs against the wall. And you remember, 
they're, they're seven and nine in Darnold starts with Gates. <laughs> I mean, as bad as they've been scoring 14 points a game, they, their record's way better than that. Kind of like when Gates was at Miami. You're like, how does he have a record that's not way worse because it hasn't felt this good? Right. Th- that's why I'm going to take the Jets and the two and a half points. How about you? Well, I'd like to take the other side just so we had a little banter going back and forth, but I'm with you. I can't do it. I think Denver's a bad team. I'll be honest with you. They're, you know, they were down to their third quarterback and I think Brett Rippon might play again. I mean, that's, I'm sure he's a good kid, but he's not an NFL quarterback. And so that, you know, on a short week of travel, he's going to have to learn the game plan in two days and they're going to travel on Wednesday. I just don't see how Denver comes out of this one. I think you're right. I think the Jets get their win and they may even get it by quite a few points. I just think both teams are desperate, but the, the deck is stacked against Denver pulling it out. Um, I'm all, all, all for uh, these Thursday night games, but sometimes the quality of play is not the best. I fear the quality of play for this Thursday night game, and I'm with you. I would pick the Jets in this game. I think you could change it to any day of the week. I think they could have too much to repair, and I would have concerns <laughs> about the quality of play between the Jets and the Broncos at this stage. I mean, wow. I thought Denver at least had a chance to be something, and they, they just got decimated by injuries with – uh, you know, Von Miller and the whole deal, quarterbacks out now. So tough situation to be in. And there's a lot of games left, a lot of bad games for some of those teams. So uh, it's a long season. You never know. Teams yep. could figure it out at some point. Hopefully they do. It's a lot of storylines, uh, kind of still a, a lot of chapters in this book to be written. Yep, there are. So we'll, we'll hit everybody back next week. Mike Sando here, Athletic at Sando NFL with Randy Mueller at Randy Mueller underscore. Thanks for coming along. Enjoy week four.